Amen. We're going to go. We're going to go to the word of the Lord here this morning. Thank you, Sister Katie. Wonderful job this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Luke chapter 4, and then we're going to move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Luke chapter 4, we're going to read verse 18. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 1. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Jesus says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I want to read that one more time. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and that he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, that he was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to those that were in captivity, the recovering of sight to those that are blind, not just physically, but spiritually, and to set at liberty, or to set free, those that are bruised, those that are hindered by various circumstances, hurts, offenses in life. He said, that's what I've been anointed to do, the Spirit of the Lord. It is upon me. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start at verse 1. The Apostle Paul, he says, Brethren, he's talking to the church, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. I'm going to start there at verse 3 again. I want to read 3 and 4. He says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, how that he was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Word of the Lord. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on something the Lord gave me some days back in prayer. I want to talk to you this morning on the topic of guardrails and the gospel. Guardrails and the gospel. Both of our opening scriptures this morning uses the word gospel. I don't believe any of us here this morning are unfamiliar with the term gospel. I don't believe anybody out in the world, uh, those who don't attend church, or maybe even those that have never attended church are probably unfamiliar with the word gospel. Everybody's heard about the gospel. Everybody's heard about gospel music. Amen. So uh, let's, just, let's just agree that there's nobody here in this church. I, I don't believe there's going to be too many people that's going to be watching this that are unfamiliar. There's nobody that's watching this this morning that said gospel. I've never heard the word gospel. Amen. So it's a very familiar term. As a matter of fact, this particular Sunday morning, churches all over the United States and even the world as we sit here this morning, they're going to be talking about and teaching about and preaching about the gospel today. 
And while we've already agreed that this is a familiar word, I, I need to make sure, I want to make sure that this church has a firm grasp on exactly what it means when we talk about the gospel. Now that word gospel, most people, I would say most people, uh, especially most church-going folks, if you ask them, what, what is the gospel? And, and I've done this, I know this by experience. I, I asked them, what is the gospel? They said, well, that's the good news. And that's true. The word gospel means good news. So when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. So we know what the word gospel means, but what exactly is the good news? We know the word gospel means good news, but what is the good news of Jesus Christ? Let's look again to our opening scriptures. Paul, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. He says, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news. That same good news he said that I've already preached unto you. He said it was the good news that you received, and because you received it or believed it and acted on it, he said, because of the gospel that you received, he said, you stand in it. And then he says in verse 2 that you are saved by that gospel. And then he says what the gospel is. He said, I delivered to you the same gospel that I received. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose again the third day also according to the scriptures. Paul said, I'm declaring to you the good news of the gospel. The good news is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Can I declare to this church this morning that the good news that I've come to preach this morning is that we serve a God that died for our sins, hallelujah, that was buried for three days like he said he would be, and by his own power raised himself up again. I've come to tell you the gospel is that there was a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Amen. The Apostle Paul, he puts the church in Corinth in remembrance. He says, I want you to remember that you were saved by the gospel. I want you to remember that you were saved by the death and the burial and the resurrection. As a matter of fact, in his writing to the church of Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 7, Paul states that unless you obey the gospel, you cannot be saved. And maybe you're saying this morning, Pastor, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. If the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection, how, how in the world can I obey that? The Apostle Paul gives us a, a dire warning in 2 Thessalonians Starting at verse 9 in chapter 1, he says this, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, it says that he's taking vengeance on two types of people. He's taking vengeance on them that know not God and them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that these will be punished with everlasting. That everlasting, that word, it means there is no end. There is no end. It is forever. It's not, it, it is not a, 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 a sentence to where you're just going to suffer for X amount of time. This is everlasting. Amen. He says they will suffer with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He said there is an eternal separation from God. Can I tell somebody this morning, no matter what you're dealing with in life, no matter how strong your faith is, no matter how much you believe anything that is preached from this pulpit, the only reason that you have hope is because God hasn't given up on you. The only reason that you have any form of joy is because God hasn't given up on you. You see, it rains on the just and the unjust, but God's grace is also extended to the unbeliever. 
And God's grace is extended to the sinner. And God's goodness, amen, is poured out into their lives as well. But the Bible says that there is a day that's going to come that a person who does not know God, a person that has not obeyed the gospel, they will be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I'm asking you this morning to imagine an eternity where there is no more light. You see, Jesus is light and there is no other. I'm asking you to imagine an eternity where no matter what you're dealing with, you'll never know one day from another. There'll never be any hope. There'll never be any light. There'll never be any possibility that you're getting out of there. Amen. There'll never be any more happiness. You'll never know what it's like to smile again. You'll never know what it's like to laugh again. You'll never know what it's like to have joy again because he says there's an everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord. He says that that punishment is coming for two people. He says those that do not know God. That word know, that word know, it means an intimate relationship. Those that don't know God. You see, brothers and sisters, there's a difference between a church attendee and a person that knows God. A person that knows God is a person that talks to God. It's a person that has a desire to pray. It's a person that has a desire to open their Bible and to read. It's a person who tries every day to bring themselves to a place where they're dependent upon the hand of God upon their life. It, it is the person who comes to a place where they learn to hear the voice of God. Please understand your pastor this morning that I am not the only one that God can talk to. Please understand this morning that God wants to speak to you. God wants to talk to you, but you've got to put yourself in a place where He can do it. He wants you to know Him. But Paul says there's punishment coming for those that don't know God and those that don't obey the gospel. If the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, how do we obey that? Well, Jesus gave us the keys through Peter on the birthday of the church. Can I have Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 on the screen? Jesus gave us the keys to obeying the death, burial, and resurrection on the birthday of the church. How do we obey the death? Well, we obey and we identify with the death through repentance. See, when you repent, you die to self. When you repent, you die to your old ways. When you repent, you die to being Lord over your life and you make Jesus your life. We obey and identify with His death through repentance. We obey and we identify with His burial when we are buried with Him. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, we are buried with Him, praise God, in the waters of baptism. Can I tell somebody this morning, baptism is more than just some generic religious routine. It's more than some generic religious rite. It's more, I don't care what anybody tells you, baptism is more than some little symbolic gesture that God has got a hold of your heart. Heart. The Bible explicitly says that the baptism on Jesus' name is for the remission, the payment, the washing away of sins. That Paul said when we are buried with Him in baptism that we put on Christ. We identify and obey the burial through water baptism. And we identify... With His resurrection when we are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the resurrection power of God. I believe it was the Apostle Paul that said that if that same Spirit that dwelt in Jesus. He said if that same Spirit, praise God, that raised Christ from the dead. Listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying when you get the Holy Ghost... You're not just getting some second work of grace. 
You're not just getting some little trinket that comes along with being Pentecostal. The Bible says that when you receive the Holy Ghost, you are getting the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the tomb on the third day. He said, if that Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He said, that Spirit will quicken or prepare your mortal body on the day of the rapture. Hey man, I've got to keep my lamp full. Hey man, because there's a day coming when the clouds will be rolled back and a shout will come across the sky. And it is the resurrection power of the Holy Ghost that will cause my feet to leave the ground. It will cause your feet to leave the ground. If so be, that same Spirit dwelleth in you. And if so be, you have enough oil in the lamp. Well, praise the Lord. Is this okay? All right, y'all got to get behind me here, okay? I'm not preaching in the library this morning. I got a message from the Lord. If you want God to do something for you today, I suggest you get behind it. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. It declares to us, now I don't, I don't need this on the screen, but it declares to us that Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only. He came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come for those that are well. You see, the well have no need of a physician. He said, but I've come for the sick. Praise God. Not the sick in body, amen, but the sick in heart and the sick in spirit and the sick in mind. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen. In Scripture, we see that John the Baptist declared that Jesus was not only the Lamb of God, but that His purpose was to take away the sins of the world. In our opening scripture in the book of Luke this morning, Jesus said that he is the gospel preacher to the poor in spirit. Jesus said, hallelujah, that he is the mender of the brokenhearted. Jesus said that he alone is the deliverer, praise the Lord, to every person held captive by sin. He said, I'm able to give sight to the blind, not just those that are physically blind, but those that are spiritually. He said, I bring those that are bruised and beaten and downtrodden. I bring those that are hopeless into liberty. What is that, pastor? He said, I bring you, praise God, into perfect freedom. I don't know about you, but I've lived out there. I've done all of that. I've drank until I passed out. I've drank until I blacked out. I've done drugs to the point to where I was high enough. I don't think it was possible to get any higher. I've done all the things out there, amen, that Satan told me was freedom. But I never knew liberty. I never knew freedom until I knew the joy of the Holy Ghost. And it all happened because somebody preached the gospel to me. It all happened because somebody, not somebody, because Jesus led me to Christ Apostolic Church in Eaton, Ohio. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It all happened because I had a pastor that wasn't afraid to preach the gospel. I had a pastor that wasn't afraid to preach against sin. I had a pastor that wasn't afraid to preach me out of hell. And that's what he did. Hey man, hey man, I enjoy liberty. You enjoy liberty this morning. Hey man, because somebody preached the gospel to you. So I'm a little, I'm a, I get a little excited, praise God. I'm a little partial to the gospel. I thank God for the good news. I thank God, Brother Joel, for the good news that no matter what I've done, no matter how I have lived, hey man, the good news that there is no sin, that there's nothing that I could have ever done that would keep the love and mercy of God from getting to me. The Apostle Paul, he outlines this in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 8, he says this, he says, for I am persuaded, that means convinced. I am convinced. Oh, I wish that somebody this morning, 
I wish that somebody, Lord, in the name of Jesus right now, in the name of Jesus, somebody living under the spirit of condemnation right now, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that somebody living under the spirit of condemnation from the hand of the enemy would get this revelation this morning. I pray that they would be persuaded and convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, right now, I pray that you would touch somebody's heart. I pray that you would give somebody that revelation right now in the name of Jesus. I thank God for the gospel this morning. Because the gospel delivers from sin. The gospel delivers us from bondage. The gospel delivers us from old things and old habits. Praise God, it changes old mindsets. Those things pass away, hallelujah, and all things become new. The gospel brings hope to the hopeless. It brings life, it brings peace, it brings joy. And the gospel comes equipped with promises. The gospel brings a promise. That he will never leave you in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your mess up, in the middle of your sin. He said, no matter what you've done, I will never leave you. I'll never leave you in the middle of your mess. I'll never take you this far and then drop you in the middle of the road. He said, I'll never forsake you, but I will be with you all the way until the end. And at the end of it all, brothers and sisters, the Bible says that we shall behold Him face to face. See Him. The one whose presence you have felt a thousand times in a church service. The one whose presence has filled your prayer closet. The one whose touch you have felt upon your life and your body a thousand times. It'll no longer be a feeling. It'll no longer be a disembodied voice. But you will look upon the one that hung on Calvary. You will behold Him face to face. Woo! And you will forever be in a place where there is no more pain. There is no more sadness. Depression and anxiety does not exist. You'll be in a place where not one more tear will be shed. And there'll be no pain to be felt. Oh, forever. Forever you'll be in that place. Oh, what a day that will be. What a glorious day that will be. Clap your hands to the Lord. You see, through the gospel, Jesus did something. God did something that was absolutely impossible. He made a way for the unrighteous to become righteous. He made a way for the guilty to be justified. For the unholy to become holy. For those of us that were stained by the sins of life to be without blemish and be without spot. Tell somebody this morning, listen to me. Can I tell somebody, can I, just use, can I just use modern vernacular and tell somebody this morning, Jesus is absolutely crazy about you. Jesus is absolutely head over heels in love with you. And that isn't something that started a week ago. He's felt that way about you since he formed you in your mother's womb. Oh, I wish I could get somebody to believe Jesus loves them this morning. So it makes sense. It makes sense, Sister Marlene, why he's a little overprotective with you. It makes sense why he's a little overprotective with all of us. 
Makes sense why God's a little jealous when it comes to us and giving ourselves to anything in this world. Makes sense why Jesus is just a little guarded when it comes to us. I briefly mentioned a location the other night because of the road work that's going on in the bridge down here on 101, we, we have to take a detour around and we have we turn on a road called Rutherford. And Rutherford Road, it goes down <clears throat> and crosses Hannes Creek right in front of the, the Hannes Creek Conservation Club. And, and uh, I, was, I was a little taken back the very first time I took this detour because uh, about the second turn, you have a turn that goes to the right and then you have one that comes around to the left. And right there on that turn, there's, there's a little uh, concrete bridge. It's not a steel bridge. It's, it's not uh, uh, steel with, with asphalt. It is a little concrete structure that goes across Hannes Creek. And the first time I went across that, I thought, well, that, that's kind of an odd bridge. It's just a, a little single car bridge. But it wasn't until I was driving home that first Tuesday night, I believe Sister Puckett was out that night from service, and I was driving home, and, and it was dark, and, and as, I, as I came the opposite direction across that bridge, the road actually is, is going this way, but the bridge quickly turns this way. And so, with the reflection off the water, if you're not very careful in the dark, it would be very easy for you to hit the one edge of that bridge and go right off the edge of the bridge down into the creek. Amen. Amen. So, it is, there's a great danger involved in traveling that way in the dark. Can I tell somebody this morning that there are some roads, brothers and sisters, that are twice as dangerous when you're traveling them in the dark? It would be very easy, and if I was a betting man, I would probably put money on the fact that somebody has put their car off the side of that bridge. What I'm trying to say is that that bridge is badly in need of some guardrails. Badly. Because at least with guardrails, Brother Joel, at least with guardrails, if, if, if I veer off course, the guardrail is there to keep me from going over the edge. Let me say that again. If I veer off course, the guardrail is what is there to keep me from going over the edge. Now I understand this morning that it's not the ideal situation, that none of us would want to take our vehicles and crash in to the guardrail. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, we don't know how far off course we've gotten until we hit the guardrail. And I know that it's not a, a, like I said, an ideal situation because if you veer off course and you hit the guardrail, there's a very good chance that your car is going to sustain some damage. There's a very good chance that you're going to scratch up the paint. There's a very good chance that you're going to leave some dents in the car. There might even be a chance that you yourself will physically be shaken up. Amen. So it's going to sustain some dents and some, some, some scrapes and some things like that. But when it's all said and done, you're going to look back and you're going to understand, hey man, that I am alive, hear me this morning, that I am alive today because of a guardrail. Can I tell someone this morning that God loves you so much that He has put some guardrails in your life? Amen. Say, Brother Puckett, I'm not sure. Pastor, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, guardrails in my life. We find those guardrails all throughout your Bible. All throughout the Word of God, there are things that God has put in place. And those things aren't there to keep you from having fun. Those things aren't there so that you just lead the life of some fuddy-duddy. Those things aren't there to keep you oppressed. God is not trying to keep you under His thumb. Those things in this Word are not there to be some simple strict set of rules. But God has put those guardrails in His Word, hear me this morning, to keep you from going over the edge. I'm preaching to you this morning about the Gospel. 
I'm sorry, about guardrails and the gospel. Brothers and sisters, when you come to church and the word of God is preached to you, that word isn't meant to be some cute little life lesson. Hey man, that we can leave here and we can think about what pastor preached and we can kind of determine, well, I, I guess that's kind of relevant to my life or I, I don't really think it's all that necessary. You know, sometimes I think pastor just, I think he just kind of makes a big deal out of things that really aren't a big deal. But rather, when you come into the house of God and the word of God is preached, hear me this morning, God is using that word to construct guardrails in your life. Those guardrails are not meant to constrict you. Those guardrails are meant to save you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says here that God uses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Not to save them that walk out of here and go, well, Pastor Puckett, he really gave it his all this morning, but I don't really see how that applies to my life. Oh, that was a pretty good message, Pastor, and then you leave and you don't give it another thought. He said, by the foolishness, of preaching, God uses it to save them which receive it. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I gave you the gospel that you received. You believed it. You acted on it by faith. And now you stand on it. And he said, by that gospel, you are saved. You're saved, he said, by the gospel that I preached. The Corinthian church was a church in, in, in the middle of the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a Greek city that had, if, if I remember, I'm, I'm saying this off the top of my head, I think it had no less, no less than 10 temples dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. The people that were in those temples practiced religious prostitution. Can you imagine starting a church in the middle of that mess? But the Apostle Paul said, I preached the gospel. You believed it, you received it, you acted by faith. He said, and now you stand saved in what I preach to you. Paul also said that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Hey man, if you want to know the reason why sometimes I get in this pulpit and I say when the doors of the church are open, you need to be here. Unless you are sick and in bed or unless you are injured, you need to be in the house of the Lord. Pastor, why do you beat that dead horse all the time? Because it's the Word that you're going to hear that's going to build your faith. It's the Word. God is giving that Word to build a guardrail for your soul. Somebody listen to me this morning. Being faithful to the house of God. Being faithful to attending in the house of God. Being faithful to paying your tithes will eventually be the difference between life and death. You need to be faithful to the things of God. Well, this is one of those sermons where pastors just kind of making a big deal out of nothing. Oh yeah? The young lady, shortly after my wife and I became youth pastors in the Eaton Church, was a young lady who started, we started picking her up. She attended one of the youth functions that we put on. She came there and God touched her and she started coming to church and we started picking her up and we knew that God was moving in her life. We knew that God was doing a great work. We raised the money. We sent her to church camp. She went to church camp. Uh, God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She was baptized in Jesus' name. She came back to the church and she was on fire. I'm telling you this morning, if she could have prayed the carpet through to the Holy Ghost, she was going to pray the carpet through. She was on fire for God. She started bringing more kids 
to church. She was going to school. She was posting things on social media. She wasn't afraid of her peers. She wasn't afraid of what other people were thinking. She went out and she started witnessing. She started telling people about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The youth in our church, every service, it wouldn't have mattered what Brother Ham preached on. She had them down at the altar and she was trying her hardest to pray them through to the Holy Ghost. But a young man came along. You want to know why pastor is so funny about who young people, and I, I, you ain't seen nothing yet, but I'm going to be kind of funny about who the young people in this church date. You see, this young lady, she really didn't have a father figure in her life. You know what happens? To a young person, especially a young lady, when she don't have a father figure in her life, Brother Joel, it leaves this open hole that she spends her whole life trying to fill. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus can do it. But a lot of times those young ladies, as that old country song, they go looking for love in all the wrong places. They start dating the wrong guys. And you know what they do? This is what I've heard. Sister Sharon, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard this, well, he's a nice guy. I'll get him into church. No, you won't. That young lady got pregnant, got married. Good for her. got divorced. She lives in a lesbian relationship right now. Don't tell me being faithful to the house of God isn't important. Don't tell me guardrails aren't important. Another young lady, <clears throat> bad family situation. Bad family situation. This this, this girl, she had a, a sister, multiple brothers. I, I really don't know what her mom's deal was, but her mom would move this family into one run-down, junked-out place. She'd live there for a few months. She wouldn't pay her tie, or not her tie, she wouldn't pay her rent. And, and she would wait till they evicted her. They would evict her, and then she would go someplace else. This, this woman never provided a stable structure for these kids. But this young lady came to one of our youth functions. My wife, myself, my family, we became very close to this young lady. Matter of fact, we, we became so close to her that there was a point in time we were ready to try to figure out a way to move her into our home. But we sent this young lady to church camp at Indiana camp. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. It changed everything about her. You know what? Nobody in her family gave her any flack until she came back from camp. And all of a sudden, it was, why are you dressing different? Why are you acting different? Oh, is it your church? Is it your church people? And all day long, they would hide her clothes. Her brothers would, 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 would sometimes get abusive with her. I mean, you want, to talk about, you want to talk about the seven levels of hell coming against this young lady. She was living it. We would, we would, she would come to our house, we'd let her kick off her shoes, climb on our couch, and she'd sit there and do her homework. We left the Eaton Church, we came to Richmond, she came with us. Then one day, she stopped calling. Saw her in Walmart, and she ran the other direction. God gave me a dream, showed me what happened. I have a picture on my phone, her mugshot. She's been arrested multiple, multiple times for drugs, burglary. Don't tell me being faithful to the house of God. Don't tell me guardrails aren't important. Guardrails are what keep you from going over the edge. 
14 years old, my son received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I have a video I could show you on my phone. I was taken at 2014 church camp. He was a worshiper. He was a praiser. He was a dancer. He'd be on his face before the Lord. God was doing a great work in him. Right now, I've got a great relationship with him. I'm thankful for that. But my son lives in a way completely contrary to everything he's ever been raised to believe and the environment that he was raised in. Because you know what? When he turned 18, and he could make his own decisions. Because see, when you live in my house, you go to church. My kids have never given me any flack for that. Not one time have my kids ever woke up when I was raising them and said, I don't want to go to church today. Because they knew, well, I think it wasn't in their heart, but they knew it wouldn't have done them any good. Sister Sharon, when he was old enough to make his own choices, he walked away. And I've asked him since then, is your life better since you left the church? No. Can I tell somebody this morning, and I'm going to try not to keep you much longer, but let me tell somebody this morning, I have never met anybody that has ever walked away from God. I've never, I've never met anybody that has walked away from this truth that I saw a year or two years down the road that could have looked at me and said their life got better when they walked away from God. I've never met anybody. So brothers and sisters, when the man of God preaches against certain types of media, when I take this pulpit and I preach against certain types of movies and certain types of television shows, when I preach against cussing and smoking and drinking and carrying on, when I warn people against unholy and unhealthy friendships and relationships, when I take the pulpit and I say, we got to live right and act right and dress right and be right, I'm not doing that to hurt you. I'm trying to preach guardrails into your life. But if you listen to the enemy, that's not what you're going to hear. You won't hear anything from the enemy about how thankful you should be for the guardrails your pastor, your parents, your grandparents have put into your life. No, 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 no. The enemy's not going to present that to you. The enemy's going to have you looking at all of your peers, all of your co-workers, all of the people around you, all of the kids at your school, and he'll say, look how popular that girl is. Look how she dresses so that the boys notice. He'll say, look at those things all your co-workers get away with. You know for a second you'd never be able to do that because everybody sees you as a goody-goody. Oh, I wish Brother Caden was here. Maybe he'll watch this later. Because the enemy, he'll look at those young men and they'll say, look at all those other boys in your class acting up and doing things. Everybody thinks they're cool. The enemy will tell you that while everybody else is having fun and everybody else is laughing and living life is what he'll say. He'll say, you could be doing that too if it wasn't for your stupid church. Oh, you can, look at all the fun your co-workers are having Friday night when they go out after work to the bar. Look at all the fun your friends are having when they have their parties. Look at all the fun they're having. You could do that too if it wasn't for all the rules your pastor preaches about. Oh, no, no, you have to be different. Because of your religion. Seems to me, he says, that everybody gets to have fun but you. Don't look so dangerous to me. I don't see anybody getting hurt from it. I don't see where a couple of drinks 
I don't see where a beer or two is going to hurt anything. Oh, it's just marijuana. Not going to hurt nothing. Go ahead and try it. Smoke a little. It's just one cigarette. It's just one vape. Go ahead. Give it a shot. Everybody else is doing it. Come on. Look at this. You haven't seen it hurt anybody else, have you? The only reason you can't is because of all your rules of your religion. That's what the enemy says. Anybody ever have you ask, a, uh, ask you a question and go something like this? Anybody? Does your church allow you to do X? Anybody ever had? Raise your hand if somebody's ever asked you, hey, does your church allow you to do this? That's happened to me. I, I've been asked that question multiple times. And I've looked at them and said, my church don't tell me I'm not allowed to do anything. My church doesn't dictate anything to me. But the word of God provides me the guardrails, praise the Lord, that keeps me from going over the edge. I don't not do the things that I don't do because the church set a rule. I don't not do the things that I don't do because it's written in the UPC manual. I don't do what I don't do because I love Jesus. Because I know where it leads. Because I thank God for guardrails that have been preached into my life. Does your church allow you to? Oh, give me a break. Well, you could have boys looking at you the way they look at others. You could be running with all them fellows that everybody looks up to. You could be popular. Everybody would know your name. You'd be fitting in at work. You could have peace with all your co-workers if you just looked like and acted like and, and, and told all the same jokes. And, but no, 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 no. no. You've got to be different. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this morning, it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart when I see someone backslide out of the church and the first thing they do is cut off their hair. I know I haven't taught in depth on this, but whether they realize it or not, it's their way of denying and separating themselves from God's authority and the covering and the headship in their life. That's the reason they do it. They do it spiritually, and they don't even understand that they're doing it. People walk away from the church, they always exclaim, they say, oh, I feel free for the first time in years. I have all of this freedom. Every once in a while, they go and find them another church. Brother Joel, they find in the church of Rutherford. They find them a church that don't love them enough to preach any guardrails into their lives. <laughs> Those guardrails, it's too restrictive. But most of the time, hear me this morning, within a year or two, they've gone over the edge. I see them in public, they're almost unrecognizable. But they got what they wanted. They got what they wanted, and what they wanted is killing them, and it's the most tragic thing to see that they are too blind to understand it. And if you point it out to them, somebody hear me this morning, and I'm closing. The music would come. Preaching to you this morning about guardrails in the gospel. Spiritual guardrails, brothers and sisters, spiritual guardrails are not designed to keep you hemmed in. They are designed to keep the things that will destroy your life and destroy your walk with God. They're designed to keep those things out. Guardrails aren't to keep you hemmed in. Guardrails are to keep you from going over the edge because believe it or not, there's times that people go over the edge, Sister Sharon, and they don't ever make it back. I, I wish I could get it through some folks that that's the danger of believing there's a revolving door on the church, that I can just get out of church and then when I decide to, I'll get into church. But then something happens or, or whatever, and then I'll, I'll leave the church again, and then I'll come back to church, and I'll walk away from God, and then I'll come back to God. 
Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's mercy. Yes, Jesus will receive you every time you come back. But can I ask somebody, what if the last time you walk away from God is the last time? What if the last time you walk through the door, your life is over? There's no coming back because you went over the edge. I don't know about you this morning, but I thank God. I thank God for the pastors that I've had in my life. I thank God that the church that I walked into in Eaton, Ohio, there was a man that preached some guardrails into my life. I thank God that the pastor I sat under in Richmond, Indiana, he preached some guardrails into my life. I thank God for men of God this morning that aren't afraid to take the pulpit and by the Word of God preach guardrails. They don't do it because they want to hurt you. They do it because they love you. So please understand this morning. When I get in this pulpit and I preach some things and it steps on your toes, or I preach some things and I hit right where you're living, or I preach some things and you feel like, oh, pastor's preaching directly at me, don't you get offended? That's what the devil would like you to do. But don't you get offended? Listen to me, it's in that moment you ought to lift your hands to God. And, and listen, I'm not blowing my own horn because I've had men to do this for me. It's in that moment you ought to lift your hands and say, I thank God that I have a pastor that'll be the mouthpiece of God, that'll preach guardrails, that'll tell me I'll not be doing this and going there. Oh, that by the word of God, he'll preach guardrails into my life because he loves me and he wants me to be saved. Let's stand here. Let's stand this morning. Oh, would you lift your hands to the Lord here today? Oh, come on. I believe there's things this morning that the Holy Ghost has been dealing with your heart on. Come on, I want you to go home today and I want you to put all of those things away. I want you to go home today. I know right now there's things that the Holy Ghost is dealing with you. God has spoke to you. I want you to go home today. I want you to put every one of those things in the trash. I want you to make up in your heart right now. I'm not going to act that way anymore. I'm not going to hang out with that person anymore. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to have that discussion anymore. Oh, Holy Ghost, this morning. Oh, God, won't you put some guardrails in our lives? Oh, I pray this morning those things that God's been dealing with you on. I know that God has spoke to hearts here this morning. I want you to make up in your mind right now. Right now. Today. Not tomorrow. Not, not, not an hour from now. Right now. Right now. That habit changes. Right now, I'm putting that thing away. Right now, I'm not doing that anymore. Right now. Right now. Right now. Oh. Right now, I'm telling you, I'm in the Holy Ghost. If you'll repent, if you'll ask God right now to forgive you of those things, He'll do it right now. He'll do it right now. Oh, God, I pray. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus this morning. God, strengthen your people. Oh, you hear every voice. God, you see every heart that you've dealt with. God, you hear the words of repentance this morning. Oh, I pray this morning, Lord, strengthen your people, God, today. Strengthen them, Lord, I pray, God, against those things that they're going to put away. Strengthen them, God, I pray, Lord, against those guardrails that they've bumped into. Oh, strengthen them, Lord, I pray, to be obedient to the Holy Ghost this morning. Strengthen them, God, I pray, between the time they leave here and the time they get home. God, to follow through, Lord, with what they are bringing in this sanctuary right now. Strengthen them, God, in their hearts, in their spirits, and in their convictions. Oh, 
Oh, in the name of Jesus this morning, Oh, yes, God. Oh, yes, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. God, put guardrails in our life. God, put guardrails. God, put them in our heart, Lord. Oh, God, help us to rejoice over truth this morning. Help us to rejoice, Lord, over the guardrails that you've put in our hearts, Lord. Oh, I thank you, Jesus, this morning. I thank you for every man of God standing in the pulpit unashamed of the truth, bringing the word, Lord, that you've laid upon their heart. I thank you this morning, God, for every pastor and evangelist, God, that are preaching guardrails into the spirits of your people. Oh, God, I pray, give us the right spirit and the right heart to receive it. Give us the right spirit and heart to receive correction, Lord. Oh, in the Holy Ghost, God, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Early the presence of the Lord in this place. I feel His mighty power. Sing it to the Lord. sing it one more time come on I, I just feel the presence of the Lord moving here come on one more time Would you worship the Lord here today? Oh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. Oh, God, for all that you have done here today. Oh, we worship you because you are God. Hallelujah. And there is none beside you. Nor is there any like you, Lord. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your spirit here today. We thank you, Lord, and give you the glory, hallelujah, for all that you have done in the midst of your people, Lord. Oh, Jesus, yours is the glory this morning. We thank you. We thank you. Amen. 
need to be thankful this morning for the gospel. We need to be thankful for guardrails. We saw in that Christmas for Christ video what preaching will do for a community, what truth will do for a community that is bound by drug addiction and alcoholism and suicide. Amen. Amen. God will do it. God will do it. Please, before you leave here today, please come to the altar. Pick up an envelope. There's not one person here today that couldn't afford a $2 envelope or a $3 envelope. So please, just come and choose what you can give. There's no pressure to for any specific amount. I, I just want to give to the work of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. I pray this word will do a work in your heart today. You are dismissed in the name of Jesus this morning.